welcome to Walking on the Wild Side, a podcast dedicated to exploring the flora and fauna of the Southeast and instilling in you, our listeners, an appreciation and admiration for the beauty and diversity of our natural resources. As always, I'm with my wife, Gabrielle, who through all of our adventures has become quite the naturalist herself. Hey y'all and welcome back to Walking on the Wild Side. We are finally back in South Carolina. We are. We've been doing quite a bit of traveling here. After traveling across the country. It seemed like we were out of the country, but we weren't out of the country. Well, it's funny because we crossed from one country, crossed another one, and then we crossed back across the other country to get back in our country, which is the same continent. <laughs> so, yeah, if you which can remember all that. Which so. is the same country. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we had to cross Canada a little ways, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. So, so it yeah, we had a great time. It was a lot further than I thought it was going to be from Seattle to Anchorage. It was. Oof. I had no idea it was yeah, going to be that long a of a flight. flight. Yeah, no kidding. Yikes. But my gosh, was it not worth it? So worth it. Holy cow, what a great trip. But, you know, it's funny, we left... Um, Basically, 40s, spitting snow a little bit, uh, you know, and we came here, and now it's it's front porch sitting weather. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's I'm like so excited. Uh, nights, it's in the 60s, you Hummingbirds know. Hummingbirds are back. Oh, yeah, and you can probably, and you're probably going to hear throughout our podcast, you're probably going to hear Boy. our Chuck Wills widow calling. Yeah, our Chuck is back. We got yeah. frogs calling tonight. Yeah, we got some Copes Gray tree frogs calling in the background. Who knows it's what we're going to hear. yes. So we made it back in the States. You know, and, and because we were so excited, because we were podcasting from Alaska, we really didn't leave a teaser time. That's right. We did not. So we didn't. So we've got an open slate here. And so I just really wanted to talk about a critter that you hardly ever see. Mm. You see evidence of them, but you hardly ever see them. Okay. And I'm not here to make a mountain out of a molehill, but <laughs> I, I just kind of had a feeling that maybe we should do one on moles. Yeah. Because most people, when they think of moles, what, what do they normally think of, right? It's that Some critter. out there tunneling around, digging up their yard. Yes, and gardeners are like digging up their vegetables and all yeah. this kind of stuff like that. And, you know, some of that is, is in fact, and some of that is not in fact. Because moles actually don't eat vegetables, roots, or anything like that. They eat insects, so they're actually more beneficial for your garden. Uh, especially oh. when they're digging around eating grubs and stuff like that, and they're loosening up the soil. So I just really kind of thought, you know, hey, man, this is another critter that we talk about that probably gets yeah. a little bit of a bad rap. Yes. You know, because, again, most people never see them, and probably the one time that most people see them is when their cat goes outside and maybe digs one up and brings them to <laughs> brings them. Brings them back as a present. <laughs> yes, that's probably probably one of the look, things. Look, Mom, but, look what I got. And, and I'm sure most everyone has been to the big box hardware stores and stuff and seen those god-awful-looking medieval mole traps. You know, they mm. have the spring-loaded spear in them and stuff. And, yeah. oh, my gosh, that's just terrible. So I like moles. I think they're pretty cool. So I figured, why not do one on moles? Let's do it. Yeah. So um, most of the time you've seen a mole, you've actually seen evidence of a mole. You haven't seen a mole, have you? Well, unless I'm, unfortunately, pulling them out the pool skimmer. But, yeah. You have seen one in the pool skimmer. Yes. So what what would you describe a mole? What, how would you describe them? What would he look like? He's cute. They are cute. He looks almost like a little mouse a yep. little bit. But his little nose is elongated. Yeah, yeah. Got a little pointed nose. Yeah. Yeah. Got kind of a grayish, velvety fur. Yeah. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the one thing that sticks out. Almost charcoal colored. Yeah, almost charcoal. Yeah. One thing that really sticks out about him, though, is those big old huge forelimbs. 
Yes. Right. I mean, yep. you look at them and they've got little tiny hind feet yep. and they got a little tiny little tail and then they got these yep. big old whopping digging claws. I, I mean, they're gonna say, huge. the better to dig with, my dear. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's funny. I always think of moles and I always think about all these folks who have their gardens that, you know, that complain about them digging around. And especially the people who are, I call them these, these lawn psychos. They're the ones that want to have a uniformly green lawn, perfect, not a shade, not a blade, not anything out of place. And along comes Mr. Mole, and he just digs up to dun, it. Dun, dun. And most people are walking out in the yard, and they're just they're just out there enjoying their beautiful, you know, monocultural, sterile landscape of a lawn. And they step in a mole tunnel and flip flip their ankle, and that's when they get pretty upset with a mole, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, realistically, though, digging underneath the ground like they're digging and stuff. I mean, my gosh, they're natural they're great aeration, for aeration, aeration yeah. soil. But you know, we'll get into it more about what they eat and everything, and and why they can be seen as beneficial but uh but moles are i mean it's it's silly enough a lot of people don't think about it but moles are mammals okay right and when you think of two mammals that can't see what are the two mammals you think of you think of Mm. a mole right who can't see and then the other one you think of is blind as a oh blind as a bat yeah but believe it or not bats actually see 10 times better now, now, that's not a scientific fact, but they seem much better than moles. I thought they used, um, oh my goodness. Echolocation. Yes, thank you. They do, but they can also see. They, in fact, they can see about as good as we can, bats can. Moles, their little tiny little eyes are actually buried in their fur. Their eyelids are fused. I mean, they're, they really don't serve them that much of a purpose because they're digging underground. And what's the worst thing that could happen when you're digging in dirt? Getting Get dirt, in, dirt your in your eyes. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, so they're kind of become almost vestigial, if you will. But but some can see. Mostly, it's detecting light and dark is really what they're for. So other than that, okay. they don't really use them too much for that. But those tiny little tiny little things. Now, when you think about it, um, they've got a little tiny little tail, and they've also got yeah. a little, little nose that's kind of hairless. Some of the people think they are moles, but they're not actually moles. They're actually fossorial. Remember, fossorial means to dig underground. They're actually okay. fossorial rodents, and moles are not rodents. They're actually really? insectivores. They're actually more <gasps> kin. they got close cousins to bats and shrews. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. I would have been in the camp that put them in the rodent family. You would. Anything small and furry running along the ground, you think. You know, most <laughs> yeah. people think of rodents. Yeah. They do. Right, they're they're chordates, which means they have okay. that dorsal ventral nerve cord or a backbone. Let's just say a backbone. Okay. Right, so that puts them in the phylum chordata. They're in the mammalian classification, so mm-hmm. they're mammals. Yeah. Now they're in an order which has a very funky little name as Eulipotyphila. Do 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 do. Eulipotyphila. Do 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 do. And they're in the family Talpidae. Okay, and there are numerous genera of these guys. But it's almost like each one of them has their own genus, right? So, like, oh. the Easter mole is, is uh, Scolopus, and, and the star-nosed mole is Condylura. So, they're not all, like, a genus in different species. They're actually right. different genus and species, which is kind of crazy. Now, there are seven species of moles in the United States out of, what, like, uh, 42 or so that you find, you know, throughout the world. We okay. have, we have roughly seven. Yeah. And in South Carolina, we got three. So we've got the hairy-tailed mole, which is not very common. Actually, probably should be on the threatened list. We have the common eastern mole. 
And then we have that funky-looking critter called the star-nosed mole, and we'll talk a little bit mm. more about him a little bit later, too. But moles are found pretty much on every continent except Antarctica and South America. Okay? All right. It's kind of weird. But but here's the thing. They are digging specialists. I mean, yes. they rarely come above ground. They live, eat, sleep, reproduce, rear young, all that underground. Oh, wow. And they're considered, you remember that word, fossorial. Mm-hmm. They're considered to be fossorial mammals. Okay. So now they have these, if you see a mole, right, they've got like velvety fur. Yeah. Tiny little eyes that are embedded, like we said. Mm-hmm. A pointy little naked nose. The hind legs are tiny, but the front legs are really broad and kind of... um flattened with claws that allow them to dig fast Built for digging now yeah. when i say dig fast i'm talking fast now up to 18 feet an hour goodness They're well literally i know we'll go to bed one night and the next morning there's yeah. a new tunnel like all over the yard across the driveway even. yeah yeah and it what's crazy. crazy is they they dig so fast um they practically swim through the soil Wow. And that's probably a good way to think about it. Thinking about them doing the breaststroke underneath the ground. <laughs> that's probably the best way to think of it. Now, they, they actually prefer the sandy, loamy, looser, moist soils. And that's kind of why you see them more attracted to, like, lawns, uh, golf courses, parks, and stuff like that. But they have a home range of about two and a half acres. Oh, wow. So, you know, they can have a pretty good size area. And, of course, they dig all the time. they got these two types of tunnels. Now, they got their foraging and moving tunnels, which are the ones that we see, the shallow ones. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's the ones you can literally see being pushed up as they move. Right. And then they got these deeper ones. Okay. They Now, when they move into new areas and stuff, they dig shallow. And as they dig, they're looking for their prey. And like I told you, they're insectivores. That's crazy. They eat worms. They eat grubs. They eat ants, insects, and stuff like that. But they're actually worm-eating machines. That's what they love love to eat. Hmm. And they move into these areas, and they forage around for those. Now, the other other type of tunnel that they have, it's where they live. It's where they sleep. They mate. Kind of a complex system of tunnels, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're deeper in the ground. And, and moles are mostly solitary, except for, I think it's like late winter, early spring when they mate. But that's only a, they actually defend their tunnels against other males and oh, stuff wow. like that. So, uh, well, so, I guess that's why we don't see a whole lot of worms around here, based on the number of mole tunnels we got. Well, I mean, they when you when you flip over soil and you see one or two earthworms and stuff, think about all the dirt a mole turns up to find those worms. Yeah. So, in addition to the earthworms aerating the soil, you have the moles aerating the soil, right? And and what's funny is they can eat fifty pounds of earthworms a year. Oh, jeez. Right? That's a lot. Yeah, it okay? is. Now, they kind of, because of all this digging, they expend a lot of energy. So they pretty much got to eat about 70 to 100% of their body weight a day. Wow. In insects and food. So cause digging's hard work. Yeah, right? I've never seen a fat mole. No, you sure have not <laughs> seen a fat mole. Maybe the one on my back. I don't know if that's, you know. That's, <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't count. Well, so here's kind of an interesting thing. You remember we talked about shrews, and shrews have a yes. saliva that's kind of got a toxin in it that paralyzes its prey. Mm-hmm. So does a mole. Oh. And most people don't know that. What they do is they actually they bite into worms and stuff like that, and they'll actually gather them and actually cache them for later consumption. So they huh. have very kind of a complex behaviors. You really just think of them digging around looking for worms. They do a heck of a lot more than that. And here's something kind of smart. Now, you've, you've picked up worms before, and, and we've had worms, and you've, you kind of accidentally squeeze one, and they yep. squirt a lot of dirt out and stuff. Well, a mole doesn't like to eat all that dirt, right? I wouldn't. So guess what they do? 
They actually may squeeze the worm with their forepaws and, and release that unwanted dirt before they eat it. Oh, wow. That's kinda pretty like, smart. Kind of like cleaning shrimp, huh? Yeah, I guess like cleaning shrimp or kind of like cleaning out the casings when you're making sausage or yeah, whatever like yeah. that. But, well, you know they got the small eyes, right? We talk about those small eyes. Mm-hmm. They don't have good eyesight. In fact, their eyes are kind of, like we said, in the fur and their eyelids fuse and stuff. But that's just kind of keep them out of the way. The other thing you don't see on a mole, think about it. You don't see ears. Ears, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they I, was I mean, just gonna say that. how much hearing? I mean, they hear pretty good, but why do you need them? So they don't have right. that external ear structure. I think it's called a pinna, like many mammals do. But what they do have is a very well adapted sense of smell, and a very well mm. adapted sense of touch with their nose and stuff, and their their whiskers and stuff like that. But get get this. Moles are some of the only mammals. That smell in stereo. Dun, dun, dun. Smell in stereo. What does that even mean? (laughs) So, basically, when you smell, you think about it, you smell one thing. Well, moles, when they smell it, they bring it into each nostril. And with that smell, they can not only tell what the smell is, but they can tell how far away it is, what direction it comes from, and everything. Wow. And that is very beneficial because it kind of helps them quickly and accurately either locate food or, more importantly, um, pick out predators. Mm. Right. So speaking of predators, so, what do you think eats Yeah, moles? I was just going to say, so what is a predator? I would think, well, I mean, they're underground a lot, but I would think like owls, hawks. I was going to say the usual suspects, right? Yeah. yeah. Owls and hawks, definitely. Um, what else likes to kind of burrow in holes in the ground and stuff like that sometimes? Slimy as a... A snake? Yeah. Really? Snakes will catch them and eat them, yeah. Oh, if you yeah, think about yeah. it, you know, they'll actually go into the tunnels and come flying along the tunnels to catch the mole as they're digging. Uh, you know, foxes have been known to dig them up, of course, feral hmm. cats, uh, coyotes too, but none of the, the mammalian predators like, you know, like foxes and stuff like that actually do enough damage to the population. But boy, hawks and, and owls yeah, can really okay. wreak havoc on those guys. So, yeah, I think it's kind of neat. Remember we talked about a star-nosed mole. Now, you've seen the regular little eastern mole that we see, which is a very complex animal. We'll we'll talk about something really kind of funky that's been discovered about moles that, you know, I I really find that no matter what creature is out there, the more research they do on these animals, the more amazing things they find, right? But the star-nosed mole is very kind of strange looking. Hmm. Their their nose is not small and pointed. Instead, it has a funky flat nose that has 22 tentacles coming off of it, looking like a star. Right. Okay. But just think of now. Look, look over here at me. Now, you guys in podcast land can't see this, but I'm holding up my hand with ten, you know, my old ten fingers, yeah. right in front of my nose, and that's kind of what it's like. That's that's how they they're just there, and they they reach and out. They're and they not touch. whiskers. They're not whiskers. No, they're actually fleshy tentacles that are actually designed for finding food. And there's 22 of them, and they contain very highly sensitive organs. They're called Imer's organs. They have a lot of nerves and blood vessels, and it helps them identify food items and stuff like that and find their way around the dark. Uh, now, huh. the, these guys are cool, these star-nosed moles, and we do have them. They're, they're very uncommon in South Carolina, but we do have them. They like moister soils and darker soils. So, in general, they're a darker-looking mole, a little bit bigger mole, too. But what's really crazy is... Because they're in darker, moister soils, it's really dark in those holes, so their nose is actually more well-developed. But they live in soils that can often be close to water. All right. In mm-hmm. fact, some of the okay. tunnels that they dig end in the water, and star-nosed moles are actually really good swimmers. Oh. And another fact about moles in general, they don't hibernate, 
One time they actually saw a star-nosed mole. They saw him swimming underneath the ice. Oh, wow. So they, they don't hibernate at all. But the star-nosed mole is adapted for a more, um, almost, a, and I'm not going to say a semi-aquatic life cycle, lifestyle, but he can actually swim if he needs to because he lives in habitat that if he got into some water and stuff, he better be able to get out oh, of it right. because if not, he's going to be easy prey. Right. But it's funny because Scalopus aquaticus is the... Uh, genus and species for the eastern mole and they don't really like to be in water so that's kind of an interesting kind of kind of little conundrum there for those guys adaptation it sounds like it is a nice little adaptation now one issue you don't think about i don't know maybe you do i don't know about that you might not think about this (laughs) i don't make a habit of it well uh, what thinking in general or just (laughs) well (laughs) if you like me (laughs) some days like yeah well think about when you're underground how do you breathe Okay, so I was just going to ask that. We're talking about, like, smells and all that kind of stuff. And if they live mostly under the ground, why do they need to smell? And how did they develop Well, they, they they obviously need to smell so they can find their food because it's in darkness. We know that. But breathing now is, you think about all those scary movies you've seen where people are buried alive and they suffocate. Well, well yeah, it's a very but, true I mean, thing. What, what is there to smell when well, it's you right know, in front of your well, nose? Well, you know, you know how, how dirt and earth smells you can smell oh, all kinds of stuff in dirt okay. so smelling is fine but the breathing in and out um oxygen is actually a precious commodity for moles but sure. but you know add on top of that they dig 18 feet an hour so they're really exerting themselves which means you probably kind of have to uh to breathe faster right and in those tunnels when you breathe out, chances are you're probably going to be breathing the same air that you just yeah. breathed out. So it, think about you guys when you make a wishers and you guys hike. Think about hiking and breathing into a paper bag. That would be the issue because you're rebreathing carbon dioxide. Right. Yeah. Well, high levels of carbon dioxide, of course, remember, they're toxic. Right. Right. Well, here's the crazy thing. Um, carbon dioxide levels have been found to be as high as 5.5% in those tunnels. And oxygen levels have been low, as low as like 14%. Hmm. Okay, now remember, okay. our oxygen levels in the air, in the atmosphere, 21% of that is oxygen and far less than 1% is carbon dioxide. So they're dealing with some pretty high levels of carbon dioxide yeah. and yeah. pretty low levels of oxygen. Right, so in, in studying moles, they try to figure out how these guys were breathing underground and doing so well. So obviously there's other places on this earth where oxygen can be a little bit hard to come by and think about high altitude mammals right Mm -hmm. so high altitude mammals their hemoglobin actually has a higher affinity for oxygen so when i say hemoglobin hemoglobin is where oxygen attaches onto the molecules for the blood right Mm -hmm. and your hemoglobin carries oxygen having a higher affinity for oxygen it means if you've got oxygen carbon dioxide it's more likely to bind and bond with oxygen than it is carbon dioxide and so you're thinking well that's probably it that's how the mole does it well when they looked at the mole's hemoglobin they found Mm -hmm. out that it actually doesn't have a higher affinity for oxygen it's actually got a lower affinity for oxygen and that stumped the scientists for a while because it actually has a higher affinity for carbon dioxide but kind of here's how that breaks down, wow. though, which is kind of neat. They're rebreathing carbon dioxide. Yeah. So their blood is actually better at grabbing and pulling out carbon dioxide and transporting carbon dioxide. So that means that they actually have more efficient ways to breathe oxygen. 
So the carbon dioxide is leaving. So when they're rebreathing the same stuff over and over again, they're actually extracting more oxygen out of it by taking okay. the carbon dioxide away. Hmm. You want to hear what's really cool about that? What's that? They're studying all that and learning a little bit more and more about it and everything so they can help patients with COPD. <gasps> How cool is, is that? Is that not neat? I mean, there's always something like that. Yeah. So, you, you know... They have the COPD that they're working with, low oxygen levels and stuff like that. All that, you know, of course, we don't want to make it seem that moles are important because we can derive something from it. We don't want to be so egocentric, right? Right. But we have gotten other things from moles. And this is one that actually you know of, although you may not think about it being inspired by moles. What happens when you're hiking and you get a blister? You stop and you put mole skin on it right so is is that actually the skin of moles no, have you thought about it it is not but it's kind of almost a little fuzzy like they are it is do you, you wonder why it's fuzzy like that and then why they call it mole skin it feels velvety doesn't it it does think? it does it, as opposed to next care tape which is right. like just a plastic tape kind yeah. of thing well this mole skin is almost like almost like suede right yeah but it allows your foot to be able to slide from side to side one direction to the other and not hang up so you can imagine mole skin if it had like pointing projections and you try to yeah. move it one way it would tear your skin wouldn't it mm-hmm. so mole skin is actually even though it's velvety to the, it's slick it moves around really good and it protects that blister mm-hmm. it's, yeah it's called mole skin because mole fur is like one of the only mammal furs out there. There's a few other fossorial mammals that have it. But it's one of the only furs out there that actually stands straight up and doesn't go one way or the other. Huh. So I'll you think honest. about it. If, you're, if you, your hair is all pointing backwards, and when you try to back into a tight spot and that hair grabs, it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, guess what? They move back and forth, up and down, frontwards and backwards they and stuff do. in the ground. So their yep. fur is actually quite slick. Because it doesn't bend one way or the other. It just huh. stays kind of neutral. So that's where moleskin came from. Well, that, how fun is that? <laughs> well, I just thought it was kind of neat. A I little mean, tip for all you hikers out there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool. And now, and again, the one thing you got to remember. I always wondered why they called it moleskin. Yeah, so just I want people to know that moleskin is not actually made from little moles. So they don't have like a mole farming <laughs> right. operation out there. Right. And one more thing I want to bring to your attention that is actually responsible from moles, right? Okay. The color taupe. What in the world is the correlation there? It's the classic neutral shade, right? Yeah. Taupe is the French word for mole. Really? (laughs) Isn't that cool? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the word word mole itself actually came from molde, which is kind of a Germanic word for loose earth. That makes sense. Yes. But the word taupe, uh, being a French word, it means mole. It kind of gives you a new appreciation when someone says they want... I really want the color of taupe. And and here's something just that will blow your mind. Okay. What color is moleskin? Kind of a creamish taupe colored. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's kind of kind of neat. Who right? knows? So anyway, so yeah, so that's that's all I got about moles. I just Man, I, I love them. I think they're cool. You know, when I walk out there and I see the, the loose dirt and everything, I don't go stomping them down going, oh, those dang moles, oh, shit, get over here. Hey, man, they're eating earthworms, grubs, and things like that. And in fact, you guys out there who are lawn aficionados, uh, you should really like moles because they're actually aerating your soil, which is what you pay probably multiple pounds of dollars for to get someone to come and aerate your soil. Yeah. You put tons and tons of chemicals on the ground. 
you know, to try and kill all those grubs and everything, which is what the mole is actually eating. And here's another thing. If you don't want moles in your lawn, probably one of the worst things you can do is put down mulch because mulch actually creates a loose, rich, organic covering that moles love. And it also harbors lots <laughs> of grub stuff. So yeah. all I'm saying is embrace the mole, man. <laughs> embrace the mole. I'm going to get a T-shirt that says embrace, embrace the mole. Embrace the mole. A mole has a soul. So I think that's important. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, you got any other questions about moles? I don't. I think you covered them. I don't think I made a mountain out of the molehill, did I? You did not. Okay. Well, that's good. So now that we're finished with our podcast about moles, you know what time it is. It's teaser time. It's teaser time. So I, I don't really know if we've got a teaser for the next one because, you know, we're actually going to be revisiting a topic. Um, yes. and And it's just that time of year. And because they're so freaking cool... We're going to revisit them, but we're going to just talk about them and them only. What are we going to be talking about? Blue ghost fireflies. Blue ghost fireflies. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait. And if we can convince them, we might have a couple of special surprise guests. Yeah, if we can convince them, I think it would be awesome because yeah. that would give us a new perspective and, a, and a, even more of an appreciation for these beautiful little blue ghost fireflies. You know, it's funny because uh, my buddy Jerry, you know, up there in North Carolina, he lives hey, in Jerry. the Piedmont. He's, uh, he's, they found uh, a Piedmont species of blue ghost, and so they're actively looking for them now. So good luck on your hunt and good luck on our hunt. And we'll yes. actually be, uh, we'll probably be podcasting from uh, the edge of a crackling fire, I hope. Um, and and it it would be nice. And I think that would be a good one. So, you know, uh, the last one we did, we did it on lightning bugs and fireflies in general. This time we're actually going to focus more on the incredible phenomenon that is the blue ghost and hopefully get different perspectives from a few special guests that may be able to share with us what they find as as so spectacular about these amazing little insects. I think that would be fun. That would be fun. So that's cool. I I will tell you now is the season. Spring is getting closer to summer. So that means there's a lot more grubs and earthworms on the ground and stuff like that. So if you really want to get your feet on the grass and walk around out there and step on some mole tunnels and stuff, you probably won't never see a mole out there unless you're outside you know walking walking on on the the wild wild side. side